Here's a good question. If I am, why don't I? If I'm everything the Bible says I am, why can't I get it right? For what I will to do, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. That whole merry-go-round even frustrated the Apostle Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am, he said. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? It's all quite a quandary, isn't it? But God has an answer for those cranial contentions. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. I had an epiphany a number of years ago that my soul was not created to control my life. Wow, was that a revelation. It was created to be a translator of the revelation of the Holy Spirit to the earth. And here's the verse that helped me understand that dilemma. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know, I like to say it this way. The sword is covered with the WD-40 of the spirit. So that double-edged device cuts through all the psychological nonsense with surgical precision. We're living in a transitional generation when the majority of God's people will begin to experience the power of God on a very regular basis, and supernatural events will be taking place with much greater frequency. Listen, God's highly vested in our emotional maturity. Will it come from an unsurrendered, overactive soul of the flesh, or is it going to come from a prophetic spirit that's been meticulously prepared for a supernatural response. We want to examine several clear takeaways in Scripture that show us how this ancient spirit-soul-brain battle began and how it's going to end. As we would probably guess, it began at the beginning, (laughs) way back in the garden at creation. I know we've heard the story a million times, but let's take a, a little deeper dive into the details. Genesis 1.24, God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle, beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then just like that, God changed everything up. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. My words now, listen to this. Let us make man with a human soul and my spirit, and let those two entities function in pure harmony. Listen to this carefully. God said nine times he would create creatures after their own kind, the animals. God first creates an original, then he creates a counterpart to that original, and then he brings them together in union and they generate life of their own kind. But in verse 26, God abruptly changes the process. This time, and it's the only time ever, God doesn't create an original. Well, doesn't everything begin with an original? Yes. But when man was created, God was the original. Man was created to be the counterpart of the original. We're imagers, the counterparts of the uncreated God of heaven and earth. We represent God to creation. We were never intended to function in any other way that the spirit and soul given us by God at creation were to function in perfect harmony, 
we were intended right from creation to have dominion over the earth. But there became a problem. Sin entered the world. We forfeited our dominion. Now our spirits and souls were in continuous contention because man reasoned he had a better way and partook of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we were never intended to even know the difference between good and evil. Our souls were in perfect harmony with our spirits. Now that all changed because of sin. So God addressed the Satan in the garden and said, I will put enmity, I'm going to put hostility and contention between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God was saying, Satan, you may bruise the heel of Messiah at his crucifixion, but it's it's just a bruise. Death will not be able to hold him in the grave. And by the way, Satan, that same Messiah, Jesus, will ultimately bruise your head, and that will result in a long-term migraine until your days finally come to an end. And I might add from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, Had the rulers of this age known of the long-term consequences of their folly, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. So we've briefly discussed the problem here, how the rebellious soul fell out of favor and went its separate way. And that would require God himself to become a man, suffer and die, and overcome death to restore his plan for the human soul. Now we want to examine the provision that God allows us to get our souls back on track. The same demand he used for his only begotten son. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up. This charge I received from my Father. You know, a very important point here. Jesus never talked about laying down his body or laying down his spirit. He only talked about laying down his soul life his human reasoning and psychology, no mention here or anywhere else that he voluntarily laid down his spirit. Our Lord surrendered his psyche, his his soul, his mind, will, and emotions. You see, never tell anyone they don't have to go to the cross. You take your soul to the cross daily for surrender, and you take it up again in a surrendered condition just like Jesus. You have the power to take it to the cross because he voluntarily took his soul to the cross. God intends for the cross to offend our souls. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God knew he couldn't allow the world to come to know him through its wisdom. That would exalt the soul. You know, the soul wouldn't even have a problem if it could save your life. It can't. But but you tell your soul that it has nothing to do with your salvation, and boy, does the turmoil begin. So here's the point. God intends for the cross 
to offend our souls. It's a paradox of sort. We must first die before we can live. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, loves his soul, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, in other words, hates what his soul is really capable of doing, will keep it for eternal life. In this transitional generation, the soul must surrender. It's not about detaching from the world. It's about attaching to Jesus. You know, I like the way Mike Bickle says it. What I behold about God's heart toward me is what I become in my heart toward God. This godly provision takes us to a a progression where the, the cross and the word of God will work together to renew the mind so we we see our new birth as a spiritual legal reality. In other words, we become in the soul what we already are in the spirit. The soul can't be held accountable to itself. It's wild, loose, and for the most part, undone. The soul will only surrender when it's held accountable to the human spirit. In short, if you want to know your purpose in life, don't ask your soul. It'll more likely feed you a bold-faced lie, and you'll go and abuse it anyway. If you want to know the purpose of your life, don't ask your soul. Purpose is only found in the mind of God, the maker of that precious soul. As we approach the end of the age and the coming glory of the age to come, Our spirits and souls must function in harmony, divine harmony. And I've often counted on a particular way of praying to bring that peace and confidence to my soul. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, the words of Jesus. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, this verse has been often misused as we try to bind the devil and and keep him from interfering with our lives. I mean, how's that ever worked out for you? It's never worked out well for me. I've discovered something much more effective in that Bible-binding category. Instead, I bind my soul to the cross to the will of God for my life. I bind, wrap, tie, fasten, and chain my mind, my soul to the mind of Christ. I let this mind be in me that was in Christ Jesus. I bind my soul to the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. I believe you'll see much better results than trying to bind the devil. And whatever I lose, we often declare that we lose the Holy Spirit. Now think on that for a moment. We now loose the Holy Spirit to do our bidding? I mean, after all, he must be all bound up, just waiting for us to loose him and cut him free. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. I loose, I crush, break, smash, melt, and destroy. I loose the strongholds in my life that hold sway over my unsurrendered soul. You know, the attitudes, the beliefs, all those ideas and desires I cook up in my head— I loose those behaviors in Jesus' name, and they're right to have any dominion over me. 
Beloved, this glorious spirit-soul-harmony God intends to bring to His church in these days will be the gift the people who know their God will use in the coming greatest revival in history, a people who shall be strong, carry out great exploits, a people of understanding who shall instruct many. That comes from people with surrendered souls bound to the cross of Jesus, then taken up in perfect harmony with a life filled with the Holy Spirit, the captain of our souls. Let's pray. Father, you created our souls, and I believe you're going to be responsible for them. Your word's clear that if we bring our souls to the cross, just as your son did, we'll be able to function in tribulation just as he did, contending with the powers of the air, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb, resisting the cunning strategies of the devil. Lord, you've positioned us to endure all the way to the end, and we seek to travel a pathway now in this time, in this season, so we might be prepared for the soon coming crisis. Father, we want to begin now to bind our souls to the mind of Christ and His righteousness and loose the strongholds that have for so long held us at bay. Truly, Lord, these are the days, and we thank you that your love and grace will bring us to the end in your glory and your righteousness. And we pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Maranatha, beloved, I'm Bill Nordstrom.